All right. Well, I'm glad to be back. I do feel a lot better. Thank you. I will have you know that Reggie did not bring the scale in like he said he was going to. I don't think he wants to be on board, apparently. Um, but it was a great word, and we're all very thankful for what the Lord's doing with Reggie. And We want to be opening up today to Joshua chapter 8. What a privilege it is just to gather together. I was just thinking about it while we were worshiping. Just to gather together and open this book and grow in it together. That is, this is the highlight of the week for me. Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we're going to jump right back into Joshua chapter 8. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this privilege, this wonderful privilege to be in this book that you wrote through the hands of holy men, Lord. And we pray that we would receive this word and that you would write it on the tablets of our heart and that we would learn from it and that we'd grow in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Joshua has just been leading the nation of Israel. If you remember in the last chapter, the defeat at Ai and Achan's sin that cost him, either him or his family, and how multiple men had lost their, lo- their lives in this battle that seemingly should have gone easily, and it didn't. And so today, we're going to pick right back up. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. This is important, and we're going to be moving pretty quickly through this chapter, but we want to start with just these first two verses. One, the game's not over. There's been a defeat. There's been a failure. There's been repentance. But the Lord says it's time to get up and time to go back to work. And the same thing is true for each of us. One of us, spiritually, we can apply this to ourselves. You are going to make mistakes. You're going to fall. You're going to sin. You're going to backslide. And hopefully, you're just going to not go so long before you repent. And then as soon as the Lord tells you it's time, get up and don't be worried. Don't be scared. It's time to uh, just draw closer to him and have victory in him. It's been well said that the only mark of maturity, the only mark of maturity between a, a Christian that's just starting out and a very mature Christian is that the length between your fall and your repentance shortens. That's it. Because there's nothing good in us, the Bible says. Every good and perfect thing comes from above. Jesus was very clear when he said, apart from him, we can do nothing. And so that's what we saw in the last chapter. They went to battle without the Lord. The Lord wasn't leading. They were in disobedience. They went to war without him. And there was utter failure. Ai is a much smaller city than Jericho. And they had a great victory at Jericho. But at Ai, they had a great defeat. Isn't it interesting how we can have great victories in our life as a Christian? And then when a seemingly inconsequential issue happens, oh, I got this one, I'll handle it, that's where we stumble and fall. There we go again, slipping up. But here the Lord says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Take all the people and go to war with you. It's time. It's time to move up. Now, I want you to see something else that is very interesting. In Jericho, could they take any of the spoil? No, that was part of the problem, right? 
Aiken saw that beautiful coat. He said, oh, man, that's just too much money to pass up. I'm not going to burn that. I'm taking it. Did you see it there at the end of verse 2? Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourself. Here's another spiritual principle here. All Achan had to do was wait on the Lord. When you try to take for yourself before the Lord has given it to you, it's going to cost you. Just wait on the Lord. His plan is perfect. The only thing that's imperfect about the Lord's plans is that he uses us to be a part of it. We're the only thing that's imperfect in his plan. And yet he still uses us. So if Achan had just waited, they would have had victory and he could have taken of the spoil. Now let's read verses 3 through 8. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city. Behind the city, do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come against us at the first that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing before us at the first. Therefore we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be, when you have taken the city, that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. So there's things in here that get me really excited that may bore you to death. But, you know, military tactics, the Lord... God himself is giving Joshua the battle plan. I mean, how exciting is that to begin with? Like, you, there are so many debates throughout history, and even to the present, of every general, every commander-in-chief, how they should do it, what tactics they're using, whether or not the Marine Corps should have artillery or not in its future attack. Here... God himself says, this is what you're going to do. This is how it's going to work out. This is going to be the outcome afterwards. And so all they have to do is follow what the Lord says. You know, kind of like the Bible in our lives, his plan, his tactics, his battle strategy. And if your life is on the line, are you going to follow the Lord's battle strategy or are you going to start writing it in on your own? If my life is on the line and I'm going to battle... I want God's plan. It's right here. But how many battles are we fighting? We don't even go check the plan. We don't even look and see what he says. Well, I want to get married. Okay, what does the Bible say? I want to have a family. What does the Bible say? I want to start a business. What does the Bible say? I want to build a church. I want to start a country. What does the Bible say? There's the plan right there. And so Joshua is going to be smart. He's going to get up and he's going to follow this plan. And so he gets there. Now, another thing that gets me really excited is it says he chose 30,000 mighty men of valor. When the Bible says mighty men of valor, this means the elite. So last time he sent 3,000 just regular soldiers. This time he takes 30,000 elite soldiers and he goes with them. He said, we're not taking any chances this time. We're going to do this exactly the way the Lord says. Now, notice this is going to be 
uh, set up at night. He sent them away at night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush. So the army of 30,000 is going to be split into two. I don't know if it was 90-10, 50-50. I don't know. But we do know this. The plan from God is that they're going to sneak in at night. The majority of the army is going to be in front of the gates of Ai. But another portion is going to be on the side or behind the city. And what's going to happen is at daylight, the army of Israel is going to come and attack Ai. Ai is going to come out to attack them back. But then Israel is going to faint. They're going to pretend like they're losing and retreat. And Ai has already beat them. So they're going to be overconfident and they're going to chase them. And they're going to leave the confines of the city. They're going to leave their fortresses. And the second they do that, the second portion, the other, let's just say hypothetically, 15,000 is going to sneak in to the undefended city, and they're going to burn it to the ground. I mean, this is brilliant military tactics. Of course, it came from the Lord. It came from the Lord. And so instead of 3,000, we got 30,000. And we've got this attack against AI, and what are they going to do? They're going to get AI soldiers away from their strong tower. Man, if you're not getting the spiritual applications here, let me wake you up a little bit. The Lord is our strong tower. The enemy wants to separate us from our defenses. He wants us to chase him out into no man's land. He wants to get us where we're weak. He wants to separate you from fellowship. He wants to keep you out of the word of God. He wants to keep you away from worship. If he has you sitting on your cell phone six hours a day, he is more than happy. He is withdrawing you. If he gets you in your feelings and in your emotions where you don't have them in control, questioning everybody, everybody's out to get me. He's pulling you away from the strong tower, which is the Lord. But when you meditate on the Lord, when you're praying, when you're reading, when you're in fellowship, and you're close to Jesus, you're clinging to the high tower, the strong tower, the captain of our salvation, our Lord. The enemy can't get you out of there because no man can pluck a soul out of the hands of our Lord. No one. And greater is he that is in you than is in the world. We have victory, but we leave the tower. And the enemy will use the exact same tactics until they stop working. So AI is going to go to the exact same battle plan they've always had. Well, we beat them yesterday. We're just going to do the same thing we did today. But the Lord's not going to let them. And so there's so much to glean, such as these little things to, to pick up and put in our pocket to use in our own walk. But then we have to remind ourselves, this isn't a spiritual exercise for the nation of Israel. They are fighting for their lives. Remember, there's no retreat. They have no homeland to go to. Their families are right behind them. They have to win or they will die. Remember, that was why it was such a big deal in chapter 7. Well, let's read now verses 9 through 17. Joshua, therefore, sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed behind between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war, excuse me, I lost my spot there, who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city 
And when they had set to the people, set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people, at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if it were beaten before them and fled and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Just perfect tactics. Perfect tactics here. They, everything goes exactly to plan, and AI falls into the trap. And just think of the pride of AI. They think they're going to win. They're like, man, we're winning again. They're running away. It's a dangerous thing for Christians who think they are winning when the enemy is just leading them into a trap. Just leading them into a trap. Oh, yeah, I know a better way. I know a better thing. I got a better doctrine. I got a better this, that, the other thing. I'm going to go my way. Or even more dangerous to a, pastor, the, to a pastor's ears. The Lord is leading me to blank. Well, sometimes the Lord really is leading someone to do something. I will tell you the majority of the time when I hear that. How do I know that? Because I've read the book. I, I've read the plans. Yeah, the Lord is leading me to divorce my wife. No, he's not. No, he's not. He may permit it. He may permit it, but he is not leading you to do that. Oh, the Lord is leading me to get into to business with this person that is a non-believer. No, no, he's not. He's not. You, you can. I mean, that's grace. But you're not to be unequally yoked with a non-believer. Oh, the Lord is leading me to, and then you just fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. I mean, I've heard some really, really crazy stuff. You know, I'm really closer to the Lord when I study my Bible when I'm high. You laugh. I've had the conversation. No, that is not in the book. No, in fact, who's in control of you when you are doing that kind of stuff? Not, not possible. And then you know what they use? Other Bible verses to try and back themselves up. It's just like, who are you kidding? It's just the pride of life. It's just pride. And there they go. They think that they're, they're going to win. They think they're successful. You've just been lured into a trap. No, we are not doing the Star Wars it's a trap. Oh, I just did it. And so all the people that know that reference are like squirming now. And so they're, everything's right at the pitch of battle. AI is right at the very cusp of victory. And little did they know, their fate has been sealed. Now, this is a great, great strategy, isn't it? I mean, even just practically speaking, you can use this as a military maneuver for almost any situation, as long as the enemy is overzealous and you're in the right position, they don't know you're there. But things are not always what they seem, are they? Because just as many times throughout history, armies have fallen into traps, death traps, kill boxes, areas where their certain destruction is set. How is it? How is it that we can go through life and not even have a strategy? 
How is it that we just get up every day and just go through your motions and just go through your habits and your traditions, and you don't have a strategy for what to do when the enemy tempts you? You don't have a strategy for when temptation comes your way? You don't have a strategy for when you maybe don't feel like the Lord is closer to you than he does at other times? You don't have a strategy for uh, prayer? You, you just aimlessly walk through life. Meanwhile, the enemy, the Bible says, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is constantly studying you and practicing on you. He has strategies, he has tactics, and they have worked for millennia. Some of the greatest people in history have fallen to sin. And we're just like, well, it'll work out. Why? Why would you think that? No, we have to have tactics. We have to have tactics for how to set up the wicked one so that he cannot maneuver his way around us. We have to have tactics so when we find ourselves into these traps, these spiritual traps, what are we going to do about it? Listen, if you have a temper problem, what is the enemy going to tempt you with? A temper. If you have financial problems, what is the Lord? What is the enemy going to tempt you with? Finances. If if you have a problem with stealing, what is the enemy going to do? Tempt you with? Now, my wife can tell you this story is true. But when when I got saved and I stopped doing drugs and alcohol and started seeking out the Lord. Those things that cost me so much money, all of a sudden they were so free. Everyone's like, hey, you want to come over? I got plenty of stuff. I want to give you this. I want to give you this. It's like, you know how much expensive that stuff was? And it was just the enemy. He was just throwing the bait back out into the water. Oh, I'll change the bait this time. Let's see if we can get him. Don't be like AI. Be like Joshua. Follow the plans of the Lord. Follow his commandments. Walk in his way. How does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto his word. Study the Bible. Commit it to memory. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Sharpen your sword. Have it ready so that when you get into that trap, you can cut your way out with the word of God. Or you can just wing it and see what happens. I don't recommend it. All right, now verses 18 through 29. The Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it, and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of the slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them. And when they had all fallen by edge of the sword until they were consumed, 
that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. As soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it in the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Man, that's brutal. That is the definition of brutal. Now, I want you to see why I stopped at this section and how we started it off. In verse 18, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out your spear. The Lord doesn't just give the command. He doesn't just give the tactic, excuse me. He gives the command to execute this judgment on the city of Ai. He tells them the exact time. What was that like? Could other people hear it? Did Joshua just, did he just feel the Lord leading him? I believe this is an audible voice from heaven. I don't know. The scripture doesn't say. It just simply says that the Lord spoke to Joshua. Now is the time. Go. And you see the numbers, the men of Ai and the women. So not only the soldiers was 12,000 against the 30,000 of Israel. Why all the tactics? Why all the strategy? Just go down there and beat them. How many casualties were on the people of Israel's side? Zero. But less than the amount that had died in the previous chapter, just by being obedient to the Lord. Now, they show no mercy to the people of Ai. They crush the enemy absolutely and completely to the point that they hang this king last and throw him on the heap that was his city. Now, for a moment, we're going to put ourselves in the position of Ai. They thought they were going to win. They were at the peak Right as they were leaving the city gates to go out and engage Israel, they thought they had it. They had it under control. They were winning. This was the triumph, the greatest triumph ever. And within 12 hours, the entire city is burned. Every human being that came from that city is dead. You can destroy your life just as quickly. Just as quickly and just as many decisions. You can have your marriage wrecked, your family wrecked, your uh, fellowship here wrecked. And it could be just as quickly. And all you have to do, just, just don't have a plan. Just let the enemy lead you out. Just let him get you into a weak spot. Let you get your pride. Think you're something. Think you're important. Think you're essential. essential. Think that nobody can do anything without you. Think how important you are. And then the enemy sets you up for failure. And the next thing you know, everything that you held dear is ashes. So don't be that guy. That is, a, that is a warning. Don't be that gal. Don't be that husband. Don't be that wife. Don't be that father. Don't be that mother, that brother, that sister, that church leader. Don't. Now, let's flip to the other side. How can a righteous God do this? The women, the children, the whole town? This is terrifying. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And his judgment is about to be executed on this entire planet 
If you're upset about one city, you need to go out there and preach the gospel and save as many souls as you can because his judgment is coming. He is a righteous God. But he gave his only begotten son not to judge the world, but that whoever believes in him can repent. Now I tell you, if the nation of Israel had been this thorough with all their enemies, the conflicts that they are engaged in today in the 21st century would not be happening. But they showed the mercy that you're asking for, that you're thinking of. Well, we should have just spared the women and the children. We should have spared. We should have spared. I'm not making a moral discussion. When God says to do something, it needs to be done. And you can't stop. You have to complete the task. No, so, but Mike, what are you trying to say to us Christians? Would Jesus do that? Well, number one, let me say that Jesus will do that in the book of Revelation when he returns, when a double-edged sword, as it were, comes out of his mouth in the valley of Megiddo. But that aside, spiritually, we as Christians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and high places and wickedness. So we're, we're not having this argument because we don't do that as children of Christ that are saved by grace. We have a spiritual war. And I ask you, are you willing to hate sin and to crush that enemy? Are you willing to take it all the way to the end? Or do you take the pedal off? What do, what do I mean by that? Oh, well, you know that you're not supposed to drink to excess and not get drunk. But you allow yourself to have a little drink now and again, you know, a little wine with dinner. Okay, maybe you'll make it, maybe you won't. I hate this stuff, to be, to be perfectly clear. Because when you counsel people whose marriages are destroyed, whose children's relationships are destroyed over alcohol, and then you have somebody playing around with it, no, I'd rather put it on the heap. I'd rather put it on the pile. No, not necessary. No, thank you. And are you willing to handle things in your life that God's calling you to deal with? He says, I gave you my son. He conquered sin, death, and the devil. He's given you victory over sin. You're to pick up the cross and follow after him, and he will lead you through these things. If you reap with the, sow to the Spirit, you'll reap with the Spirit. But if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap with the flesh. And he gives us all these commandments. Are you willing to go to war against sin? I've heard it well said, even from some of the elders here. Yes, you know, I really feel a call this year to hate sin. That's great. You can hate it all you want. Can you do something about it? You have to take the sword out. And you have to go to war with it. Well, that's just the way I am. That's just who I've been. My mom, my cousin, my uncle, my nephew, my neighbor, my coworker, my boss, whatever the situation is. Are there any excuses here from the nation of Israel? None. The city is burnt to the ground. And for final measure, they take the king of that city. They hang him on a tree for everybody to see. You disobey the Lord. You take sides against the Lord. This is what happens. And at sundown, they throw his body on top of the heap. If you show mercy to sin, it will always rise up and destroy you. I'll tell you right now, if you show mercy to sin, it will always, underline it, rise up and destroy you. I can't tell you how many leaders I've been uh, fellowshiped with and, and labored with. And they struggled with a certain sin. And they said that they conquered it. But little did I know, it was in their closet, and they were feeding it under the table, under the, under the door. They kept it in the dark where no one could see, but they kept that thing as a pet. 
And they kept feeding it little by little by little. And then one day that thing comes out of the closet and it's a monster. And it destroyed their walk. There can't be in fellowship. They can't serve in ministry anymore. Whether it was drugs in one case, whether it's adultery in another. And you see it happen. And you say, why? Why didn't you just slay the monster when you had the chance? Because they showed it mercy. Well, a little bit's okay. A little bit's okay. I'll just flirt with, you know, it's just a little messaging back and forth. It'll be all right. We're just friends. It's just, it's not even that big of a deal, this chemical, this drink, this thing. It's not that big. It's okay, just a little bit. It's popular. It's legal now. Destruction. So show no mercy. Clear it out. Empty it out. If it's in your cabinet, go home. Cleanse it tonight. If it's a relationship, text them. Call it off. Block the number. Throw away your phone if you have to. Get rid of your social media if you have to. Show no mercy. You got a problem with your computer, with your phone? Throw it away. We got millennia that we went without electronics. You won't die, I guarantee it. But show no mercy. Because the Bible tells us clearly we can show no provision to the flesh. Because if you give it any provision and you start feeding it, it will rise up and destroy you. Well, now we have verses 30 through 35 where it's written, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel... He wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders, their officers, and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he was, who was born among them. Half of them were in the front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. And if, you, if you're not seeing it, and you don't quite remember, this was commanded by Moses that they do this on these exact same mountains in this exact same way in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. And here they're reading the entire book of Deuteronomy, the Moses' law is being rewritten, reread to the entire populace. I'm telling you, I am going after one great revival in this country left before the Lord returns. And I pray for the day that we open the Bible. The Bible has put its back in its pedestal, back in its place in this country in which it was founded. The majority, the majority of the writings from the founding fathers about the writing of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, come from references in the Bible. And you can check that out yourself. I highly recommend wallbuilders.com. Go check that out. They have, they have the original handwritten letters from the founding fathers claiming those things. And so as I read this about the nation of Israel, which is God's chosen people, 
and I relate to American history, we are not God's chosen people as a nation. We are a people, a people who are saved by grace through Christ alone, who have a country that is founded on the word of God, and that's what makes us special. And the farther we drift from that, the the more dangerous it gets. And I say, we then need to go back to the reading of God's word. Where are you nodding your head about reading it and putting it in its proper place in the White House when it's not in the proper place in your house? Is it it the prominent place at your dinner table? Are you talking about the word of God at your dinner table? Are you talking about prayer? Are you talking about bringing prayer back into your home? Are you talking about leading and repenting, going to war against sin? Are you waiting for the government to do it? Well, you can keep on waiting. It ain't going to happen. And our people that are called by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit who are seeking after his word, that's when things will change. And all the glory from this victory goes to God, and they go straight to the word. And all the victories that we have in God, we need to bring back to him. Now, I love how this book starts. Get up. You've messed up. It's over. You messed up. You really did a bad job. But stop being afraid and just stop whining about it. Do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid. Get up. It's time to go to battle. And so the same thing is true of you and I. There's always an area that we can repent a little bit more of and an area that we can gain ground for Christ, whether it's in our heart or our household whether it's in our relationships or our walk, whether it's in our leadership or our service to God. There are areas that we need to take ground. Or you can sit in your foxhole and cry, but I ain't got time for that. We want to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and go on the offensive. And that's what we see here. The nation of Israel could not stay there and have a pity party, but God called them, God gave them the strategy and the tactics, and it was their job to implement it, and they did. We have God's orders, his tactics and strategies. We have the word of God, the Bible. We have our orders. Now it is time to take it to your heart, to your home, and to the world. Let's pray. Lord, we want to dedicate the rest of this evening to you in prayer. We have two weapons, the word of God and prayer. And we want to exercise that weapon this evening. And corporately, we want to pray for those that are in authority. We want to pray for what's going on with the government. And you're the Speaker of the House. And we just pray that you would elect that person, whoever it may be. We pray for missionaries. We pray for those that are sick and hurting among us. And we pray that you would lead us in our prayers this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>